about a week ago, I went over to my brother's house to uh, see an old friend who had come into town. And uh, being at my brother's house is a great joy, because when I'm there, I get to see my nephews and my niece. And uh, my brother's oldest boy, uh, Rush, is um, about four now. And he's at this age where he's just full of wonder and expression and um, questioning everything. And um, during the course of my just couple hours over there, um, Rush showed me so much um, that he was up to and what he was interested in from, you know, Batman to um, whatever was on the television, to um, whatever food my brother was making to dinner, to his little playset of Noah's Ark. And I watched, watched him get out Noah's Ark and rearrange all the animals. He likes neat, orderly lines and things. He organizes things like that. And so he took all the animals and arranged them and put the angel on top of the ark and moved the devil about. And... So one of the great things about the story of Noah's Ark is it's just such a vivid story um, full of just things that we can touch and taste and see. Um, it, it's a good story for kids. Um, something that helps them um, sort of touch the, the, the Bible. And the story of our salvation, how God has worked in the world throughout the generations. The story of Noah, of course, is not just for children. Noah is a story for grown-ups, too. And there's so much that we can take away from this story. There's layers and layers and layers and layers of things. Um, it's a vital story. Um, one referenced over and over and over again. And perhaps that's why we have, here during Lent, been referring to this story for the last couple of weeks. Perhaps the church is teaching us something as we walk our way through the story of Noah, the course of Septuagint, um, sorry, Septuagesima and Lent. One of the things that stuck out to me as I was reviewing the story of Noah this week and as I thought about my nephew playing with this little set of animals and people was that God's immediate word to Noah after he got out of the ark uh, to Noah and his children and then repeated to the animals is to be fruitful and to multiply. After all the chaos of the flood, all the destruction, um, really the returning of the world to chaos, God instructs his people and his animals to be fruitful, and to multiply. It's the same thing he said at the beginning of the world. After the chaos of creation, God says to his people and to his animals, be fruitful, and multiply. And so, at the recreation of the world after the flood, you get the same thing. Be fruitful and multiply. That is one of the primary commands of Scripture. And it is a command that will never cease. As long as the earth endures, as long as we have seed time and harvest, and as this order maintains itself, be fruitful and multiply is a command given to his people and his animals. It never ends. 
for the last, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 years, a dreadfully satanic myth has been populated in the West. And somehow there's this overpopulation thing that we're dealing with, and therefore people should not be fruitful and multiply. And so we've been sold all these devilish lies. Um, abortion and family, um, no, I shouldn't say family planning, but family planning, not having children, contraception, pornography, divorce, all these things that take away from God's central command to be fruitful and multiply. And because we've turned away from God, we've been giving the just rewards um, of our actions. And so we've seen this precipitous <clears throat> decline in population in in formerly Christian lands, Europe, in the United States. There's, um, and even in China, where there seems to be so many people, there's still a demographic crisis because there's not enough women to go around because they've done so much damage through the um, mainstream abortion. Because people have turned away from the command, be fruitful and multiply, the earth has suffered. God's people have suffered. God's animals have suffered. We've forgotten the basic commands of God, that life is important, that life is something that God truly, truly values and infused into creation. We've been saying to God for generations that life doesn't matter. And now we are faced with a planet that just doesn't have as much life. And it's not just people. It's, you know, a damaged agricultural system, a damaged economy, a damaged civilization. We've sucked life out of everything. Things are stale and lifeless. All because we've ignored that command to be fruitful and to multiply. God's a God of life. God has told us there are two ways a way of life and a way of death. And we've um, all too often chosen the way of death. <clears throat> and so we have a culture that embraces death. And we have peoples that have no idea what life is about. So you say to me, Father Sean, I'm not, I'm not married, I'm not engaged in this um, work of making life right now. Um, all of us are engaged in the work of making life, is what I would say to you. Being fruitful and multiplying is not just the command that we have, um, although it is vitally related to procreation. Being fruitful and multiplying is something that Christians just ought to do. Christians ought to be making new Christians in the bedroom and in the public square. We ought to be engaging the culture constantly with the hope that as we bring life to the culture, the, the gospel of life, the message of life, the way of life, we will be bringing life into the culture and being fruitful and multiplying. Our churches certainly should be houses of multiplication and houses of life. We have the good news of life. And Jesus came to bring us eternal life, vibrant life, a life full of wonder. And we can bring that message 
to the world through our worship, through our witness, and through our sense of wonder. If we, as a people, begin to really appreciate life, then we won't be afraid to be fruitful and to multiply as Christians, bringing in other servants into the kingdom. And I know it is a massive challenge um, for most of us. It's hard to go out there and just start talking about the gospel. But as we move further and further and further away from life and embrace death more and more and more, people are going to be drawn to life. Nobody wants to go out to a Shelby Township where they tore down that plant, uh, that Ford plant a couple years ago and just left a desolate wasteland. People aren't attracted to that. People are attracted to, you know, the forest and fens of uh, Bald Mountain where things are growing, you know. All the dead ends of the world are not going to mean anything. They're just going to be destroyed fields. But the church will be a place of fruitfulness um, as we embrace life as we are fruitful and as we multiply. And people, I assure you, will be drawn to it. Maybe just one at a time, maybe ten at a time, maybe never ten thousands at a time. But people are going to be hungry for this. Because people are drawn to life. Even when it looks like they're embracing death. At some point... Everybody realizes that they're at a dead end. And if they have an opportunity to escape through Jesus, confident that they'll take it, if we are able to witness to that, they'll know where to go. We are in the season of Lent. We are, in a manner of speaking, shut up in this ark, you know, like Noah for 40 days. Like Noah, we have a time to sort of clean house, take stock of things, reflect. It was probably really, really disgusting and messy on the ark. Sure that they were constantly throwing waste out of the windows or portholes or whatever they had, and it stunk but the end product was life. These animals broke free, these people broke free, and life came out of this dirty mess. So we're sort of sailing in this ship of Lent. We have opportunity to take stock of our lives, to empty out the waste products, all the bad things, all the ways we and our souls have embraced the culture of death. We have a time to pick all these things out so that we inwardly might have souls that are fruitful and ready to multiply good works. Lent is a perfect time to start cleaning house. And we do that, as you've heard, through prayers and through study, for fast, through fasting, through thanksgiving, through almsgiving. These are all avenues that God has given us to help us embrace life more. We pull away from our selfish selves through fasting, through giving up things. When we collect our pennies and our gold coins and give them to the poor in almsgiving, we're able to turn away from the death of ourselves, of life,
turned far too inward and see the life that's out there in the world, the life that Jesus is calling us to embrace, a life freed of all the waste that entraps us. We want our souls to be places of fruitfulness, of multiplication, of good works. Sometimes we Protestant, or, well, I guess former Protestants, right? We don't like good works. We don't like the term good works, but doing good works is what Christians do. It doesn't necessarily save us, but it gets us on the right road, you know, and it helps us to walk that way of life. St. Clement of Rome said that Noah, after he came out of the ark, was this preacher of a new world, of a new and reformed world. And that is what I want us to be, preachers and proclaimers of a new world, of a reborn world, of a new world, a world full of life. God's still making life. God will always be a God of life. We, walking the way of life, can be messengers of life, and servants of life, and bringers of life to this dead and dying world. In the end, when we uh, exit the arc of this world, our lives are over, this creation is over, as God starts shaping the new world, God releases us from the ark, we will be brought face to face with him, <clears throat> be brought into a world of wonder, a world of life that will never end. And I want us to be ready for that. And as we practice um, the way of life now, we'll be ready for the way of life then. It's almost like we'll be like our little nephews and nieces, you know, full of wonder at everything that's going around. Our minds are really cynical now. You know, we're all, we're all grown-ups, so we have all these hang-ups and bad attitudes and, and all these doubts that young people don't have. Someday God's going to take that all away from us, and we'll be able to just look at him and embrace him and be caught up in that wonder that is God. And it's a wonder that will never, never end. So when we leave the ark of this world, and we enter the new world of heaven and the new world of the new earth. I hope that we see as many of our neighbors and friends there as possible through our witness to life now. I hope we can invite everybody in, everybody that we see, everybody that we know, everybody that we don't know, into the wonder of God so that we can all experience that wonder throughout all the ages. Amen.